Hello, I'm Niall Brown and welcome to this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. Over the last five decades, Australian director Philip Noyce has shown that he really knows how to handle the thriller genre. Noyce first captured international attention with the acclaimed 1989 film Dead Cam. Starring Sam Neill, Nicole Kidman and Billy Zane, the film is a close quarters thriller which still works incredibly well more than 30 years after it was first released. The success of Dead Cam brought Noyce to Hollywood, where he directed Rutger Hauer in the fun action film Blind Fury, which helped land Noyce the directing gig on Patriot Games, the Tom Clancy adaptation which saw Harrison Ford replace Alec Baldwin in the role of Jack Ryan. Noyce followed the film up with the Sharon Stone thriller Sliver before once again returning to the world of political intrigue in clear and present danger, the finest film in the Jack Ryan series. Noyce would go on to helm a slew of other key films starring a variety of big stars. These included The Saint with Val Kilmer and Elizabeth Shue, The Bone Collector with Denzel Washington and Angelina Jolie, The Quiet American starring Michael Caine and Brendan Fraser, and The Giver with Jeff Bridges and Meryl Streep. Philip Noyce's latest film is the tense real-time thriller The Desperate Hour starring Naomi Watts. As you would expect from his previous work, The Desperate Hour is an expertly handled thriller, tense and well executed with an impressive performance from Watts, who pretty much shoulders the majority of the film's running time on her own. Watts plays a mother attempting to save her son in the wake of a high school shooting, and the film unfolds in unexpected ways as the tension rises toward the finale. I caught up with Philip Noyce to discuss The Desperate Hour and the logistics of making a film which essentially features Naomi Watts and her trusty iPhone. Noyce covers all the questions you'd have about the film, and we even talk about his next directorial effort, Fast Charlie, starring Pierce Brosnan. As always, I hope you enjoy my chat with Philip Noyce. What's that in front of you? What is that? Uh, that is my microphone. It's a big mic. It is, although it's, it's quite close to the camera as well, so it's probably uh, looks bigger than it really is. Okay. Yeah, where are you? I'm in Ireland. Oh, in Ireland? Okay, I am, yeah. I'm in the north, sort of halfway between Belfast and Dublin, so Armagh. Okay, okay. So, uh, it was a talking to, uh, well, of course, Pierce Brosnan. Uh, yes. I'm working with in a moment on this film, Fast Charlie, here in New Orleans. Um, and I was speaking to uh, Michael Fassbender's agent, who's from, from just where you are now. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was speaking to him the other day, Saturday night. So, uh, yeah. Of course, uh, half of Australia is Irish. Of course. Yeah. I've, I've got loads of family out there as well. So, uh. yeah. Yeah. Um, and when I went to Southern Ireland, it was like down there, it was like being in an Australian country town. You know, all the faces were the same. It was, it was a real, Deja vu. There is. <laughs> there's a lot of DNA be, 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 between the both. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lots of DNA. And of course, the Irish, uh, um, uh, the Catholic Church established a whole school system, for better or for worse, across Australia, just like it has done in Ireland. Um, so there's a, you know, this independent schools, government schools, and then the whole Irish Catholic school system right across Australia. Right. Yeah, there's so, so much sort of simpatico between both. It's 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 fascinating. Yeah, yeah. But um, well, thank you for talking to me today about uh, the desperate R. Yes. 
I understand um, it's on Sky Movies uh, in the UK. I think so, yes. I'm not quite sure when it's out here, but... I'm... I think it's very soon. I think it's like at uh, the end of February, I saw. Right. Yeah. I'll, I'll be sure to, to push it on the website as well and let everyone know that it's, it's out. Great. Um, I, I, I watched it this afternoon and I thought it was fantastic. It's such a sort of a really tight thriller. Yeah. How, did, how did it come about? Because obviously you shot it during the pandemic. Was it in production beforehand or is it just... No, it was right in the middle. It was six months in. We shot it in... September 2020, yeah, it was fall of 2020. So we were deep in the pandemic, deep in, in, the, in the lockdowns. Uh, and uh, a producer, one of the producers, Dylan Sellers, worked with previously, uh, sent me the script, said, uh, you know, this is starring Naomi Watson. We're going to film it in Northern Canada. Um, and of course, I found out that where we were filming was almost COVID free. And, the, and, and because it's a film that's set mainly outdoors, you know, we were, we, we were, we were going to avoid, you know, the problems of uh, um, physical distancing. Um, but the main reason for taking film was just the chance to fulfill, um, you know, a long-held desire to work with Naomi Watts, someone that I'd known as a teenager back in Australia when she first appeared um, in Nicole Kidman's film Flirting, directed by John Diger. And I'd watched her over the years um, as her career just skyrocketed into blockbusters and, uh, and also art house, wonderful art house stories as well. Um, and in... Hollywood, you know, there was a whole group of us from the Antipodes who started new lives away from home and we all gathered together. We were called the Koala Mafia. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'd, I'd find myself sitting opposite uh, Naomi at Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthday celebrations um, through different relationships that she had and I had and and over years and then suddenly I'm offered the chance to, to direct a film starring her and almost her alone in the whole movie you know and um, uh, so I jumped at it um, both to relieve the inertia uh, of COVID lockdown um, but also to work with you know such a brilliant actress and also because um, I have a 14-year-old boy, and I must admit that when a day goes by, I don't wonder who the young human that's emerging through puberty, who that is. Is it me? Is it my wife? Does he have our values? You know, and, and often I think he doesn't. He doesn't have our values. He's got someone else's. You know, sometimes I even think, well, okay, the devil's got hold of this boy which is just a natural, uh, you know, paranoia of a parent for, for, an, for an emerging teenager, the, uh, you know, the emerging human that's just bubbling up like a volcano uh, in our family. Well, so, that's, 
that's it. It adds a, it brings up a lot of interesting questions about parenthood and who your child is, and not to sort of ruin any plot points. But Naomi Watts' character is, is faced with a couple of difficult truths that that really challenges her as as a parent. Yeah, yeah, she is, um, and those that desperate hour that the film describes is something that parents all over the world fear that and you know less so in nations that are not so obsessed with uh, with firearms but certainly you know it, it's it affects us all here in america uh you know where there's the second amendment right to to bear arms uh, which is a, a right that is you know uh fought over um and you know, I when I was reading the script, it did bring back you know many disquieting mornings when I had dropped my kids off at school and wondered, is this the day that desperate hour comes to our school? Um, and I've thought that often or asked that question, you know, and even as a filmmaker, of course, I don't know, I always look at situations uh from strategic staging so it's a terrible thing to admit but I've often as I arrived at the school looked and thought well would they have they got the guard there in the right place or is there a place where someone could come in I don't know it's a crazy paranoia of a filmmaker maybe or maybe not maybe just the natural paranoia of a parent you know, in this age and in this particular country where this issue is is quite extreme well, that's it. I mean, because there, there is that powerlessness that Naomi Watts' character has, that there's nothing she can do. Obviously, she's isolated, but even if she was on the scene, she could probably actually do very little with, with what was going on. Yeah. Well, she does more than, more than most of us might be able to do, in fact. She's quite ingenious in, 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 in what she does do. Yes. And, and that brings up the other the other character in the movie, which is who is who plays as big a role in some ways as Naomi, and that's the old trusty iPhone or any of course <laughs> device. You know, now you know we are prisoners of this thing. Um, I mean, it's amazing, really. You go to a restaurant and look around, and people used to talk to each other. Now they just no, <laughs> I mean, and and um, although it's a constant fight again in, within my house to keep these devices from overwhelming our children, we've got to admit as parents that that's what we do. You know, we're, I mean, I can't, I can't even go to the bathroom. I must admit, without wanting to take this with me, and I just, you know. I when I go to the bathroom, I rush back and get my phone so I can sit and click and watch for the clickbait. Well, the film is about that device as well um, and how that's overtaken us and, and how it helps us and hinders us. Yes, I mean, it's very well balanced to begin with. You sort of see how the phone controls her life in sort of the opening minutes while she's out so for her run. And then it, it becomes almost something because she turns it and sort of puts it on mute it becomes a hindrance to her but then she relies on it for so much 
And a question I just I was watching it. Did you have to sort of sign a deal with Apple to use the iPhone, or can you just go ahead and do something like that? Uh, yeah, we had to sign something, and they uh, they had to look at the film and approve the way that we were using their apps and what the phone could do. So yes, we did have to sign an agreement, and we did have to listen to them when they complained about what we had the phone doing. Uh, of course, <laughs> the unfortunate thing is the phone can do almost anything nowadays. Even, you know, you can, and particularly if you're a runner, even in the back blocks of a forest, you know, there's apps that, that are connected to satellites and you can, uh, you can, uh, you can maintain contact and um, you can navigate, you know, through, through satellite uh, um, uh, um, beams that are being down, you know. Uh, into remote places. Um, there's almost no escape from this thing now. Well, that's it. I mean, even when you're looking for directions, it's constantly there or, you know, your email, you know, you're, you're constantly on it and you're always contactable, which is the, the other bad thing about it. <laughs> there's well, no escape. Well, yes, no, it is, but, but now, you know, it's weird, isn't it? I remember when I used to be fine anywhere but in a map and then I'd just go there. Or read signs and and okay, turn up here. Now I can't. I've got to have this thing telling me what to do. Yeah. I'm here in I'm here in New Orleans, and you know I can't leave the house without this thing. I get lost if I go to to, to the to the to the pharmacy, you know. And then I'm frantically tapping into it and uh, waiting for it to tell me turn left, turn right. <laughs> That's it. Yeah, it's uh, technology. It's, it's controlling our lives. You know, it's unbelievable. Um, what, one thing about the film as well, I was curious, did Naomi Watts, what was she responding to on the phone? Was all that pre-recorded? Was that live when she was speaking to people? It is live, but it's not. Oh, oh, oh it's taken over. Oh, 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 okay. Sorry. Speak of the devil. I know, yeah. Um, um, it was live. We had uh, the guy that plays CJ, the motor mechanic, and his wife were part of the team, and uh, they played all characters, just the two of them. And so that you'd have Naomi, then a camera or two cameras, and then you'd have a car with the actors, then you'd have a car with the directors, then you'd have a little van with the sound recordist. They didn't have a van with the makeup artist. They didn't have a van with a with um, the ads. They didn't have a van with the pas. So you had a her plus eight vehicles um, in front of her for every take. You know, because she's moving, and we're going to end up in the take maybe two or three miles away from where we start. Right. So, so the actors are traveling in the first car so they can keep in contact with her. And they're playing everyone that she talks to. And, they, and, and, and that was really important to her because they, they got to know her rhythm of speech. So they, and, they, and, they, and they knew the script intimately and they'd rehearsed with her. So uh, that was really important for her performance, you know, that she was talking to these two people who are skilled actors. Um, you know, and they're, but they're playing every single role. And then later we would re-record. And in fact, one of the secrets that nobody knows 
but maybe someone will realize is that the detective Paulson, who has a bittersweet relationship with Naomi's character, is played by her former husband, Gav Schreiber, who uh, came right. in and uh, guest appearance as a cranky cop. I didn't I didn't even twig on to that, so that's that's something that passed me by. <laughs> yeah, well, he's in he's in the credits, but he's called someone else, like Theodore Schreiber, something like that. Right. <laughs> it's a it's a nest egg for everyone to, to, to find. <laughs> and just to sort of to, to kind of wrap things up, I, I know you said you're you're in uh, New Orleans working on a film, uh, Fast Charlie. What can you tell me about that? Fast Charlie is a gangster movie. Uh, Pierce Brosnan uh, plays the right-hand man of a 85-year-old senile gangster who's past his time, and that's what his the rival gang thinks. So they try and eliminate all his men, but then leave one guy alive. Pierce Brosnan, big mistake. Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> so. Uh, it's about Pierce's loyalty to his former boss and the love affair that he that he has along the way with a soon, almost two days off announcing who that love affair is with, a famous actress that's making a big comeback to the silver screen and someone that I've worked with in the past. There you go. I'm, we'll work it out. I'm going to be checking that out on your IMDb page to try and figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> You have to go back to the early the early nineties to find that actress. I'll have a little look. <laughs> but Philip and she'll be and she'll be one of the biggest actresses at that moment when she worked with me last. One of the best in the world. I'll I'll be uh, I'll definitely be doing that now. Once I'm done, I'll be uh, on Google. <laughs> <laughs> but Philip, I'm really looking forward. I, I thought Desperate Hour was brilliant. Um, I'm looking forward to Fast Charlie. Um, I'm a big fan of your work sort of throughout your career. So really thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Thank you. And uh, good luck with the movie and the next one. See ya. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Movies in Focus podcast. You can download it wherever you get your podcasts. And I hope that you tell your friends about it. That's it for this time. And I'll see you at the movies. Thank <laughs> you.